Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of Returns Unboxed. I'm Laura, one of the many Returns geeks here at Rebound and your regular host on the Returns Unboxed podcast. If you're new to the podcast, we're all about unpacking the ever-evolving landscape of returns, keeping you listeners out in retail land, up to date and in the know. And if you aren't new, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. You'll know just what to expect. Insights, expertise, weird stories, which is my favourite part of the podcast, and plenty of pop culture references. So let's get started. In this episode, we'll be diving into the important topic of extended producer responsibility for textiles. However, that's an area that's far beyond my area of expertise, so I've called in the experts. Today, I'm joined by Inga Bars and Charlotte Wooten. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we dive into EPR, why don't we just give the listeners a bit of an insight into who you are, why you're joining us today. So I'm going to come to you first, Charlotte. Uh, thanks, Laura. So, yeah, my name is Charlotte and I work at Valpac, which is the UK's largest compliance scheme. And I sit in the international department and help companies comply with EPR all across the world. And we sit nicely with Rebound under our parent company, Reconomy. Fantastic. Great to have you. You can't get much more of an expert than somebody that deals with literally global EPR compliance. So it's really great to have you here. And Inga, coming to you secondly but definitely not least. Yeah, so um, I'm Inga, I'm responsible for sustainability and security at Rebound um, and the link with uh, EPR is that our clients uh, need to oblige to the EPR reg- regulations um, and for the economy uh, organization I'm uh, collaborating for uh, an EPR solution for textiles. Perfect. So EPR is a very fast evolving topic, which keeps these ladies very, very busy. Um, So what is true one day might have changed completely the next. So just a bit disclaimer to say that everything that is in this podcast was accurate at the time of recording, which just for reference was the 30th of January, 2024. We do have lots of content going on about EPR across the two businesses. There's webinars and blogs and eBooks. And of course, you can always just contact these ladies if you'd like any more information on EPR, if you want something a bit more up to date, if you happen to be listening to this in a few months time. But yeah, let's dive into it. EPR is a very big topic, so we're really going to try and break it down as simply as we can today over the next 20 minutes or so, really just to make it accessible for everybody so that everybody can understand what they need to know. But I think a good place to start is to answer the obvious question, what is the objective of EPR for textiles? What's it trying to achieve? Charlotte, I'll come to you for that one. Yeah, thanks, Laura. So EPR, or Extended Producer Responsibility, has been in place across sort of all of the EU and the UK for several, several years now. We're talking sort of a couple of decades. Um, And what extended producer responsibility is at its core is basically making sure that when companies place goods onto a market in a certain country, they're paying to ensure that the correct disposal at at the end of life of that product. So we've had packaging, electronics and batteries in place for a really long time now. And what we're starting to see is that this extended producer responsibility and getting companies to pay for the end of life of their products is now coming in for textiles as well. So that's basically making sure that when a company places textiles items onto the market across the world, um, that they are paying for the end of life of that textiles garment and making sure really that they are paying into the system that helps us recycle and, and properly dispose of those to make sure that we're not getting too much at landfill. 
what a great explanation. I think let's just wrap the podcast up now. <laughs> Done. Covered everything. <laughs> Perfect. So Inga, why are we choosing to talk about EPR on what is typically a returns-focused podcast? Uh, so the reason for that is that uh, many of the clients of, of the brands that we have in our client base at Rebound, but also in general, the markets that we target also includes these producers that actually need to oblige to this EPR for textiles. Um, the EPR for textiles is a new EPR, as Charlotte just uh, mentioned. So also for our clients, this is something new that they need to understand and integrate in their returns management. Uh, so for instance, part of the EPR is to make sure that you have the infrastructure and the collection in place to make sure that you actually are able to facilitate uh, the extraction of the textiles out of the market. And that's part of the solution where Rebound can support. So that's why we are uh, also heavily involved in EPR for textiles. Makes sense. So uh, all of you brands and our, our clients out there, listen up. There's going to be lots in here for you today. So as we established, I am not an EPR expert. And there's going to be a lot of people listening that are probably in the same boat. So who should be paying attention to EPR and why? Well, absolutely everyone, of course. <laughs> who, <laughs> who wouldn't want to be an EPR expert? It's the most exciting topic. People are queuing up for it, I've heard. I'm detecting a hint of sarcasm. <laughs> no, in all seriousness, um, if a producer or a company is placing textile goods onto a market for consumers to purchase, and even whether that be through selling on a website, selling through a store, or selling directly to sort of third-party distributors and retailers, all those producers need to be aware of textiles EPR and have an idea of what's going on so that they can comply with the law correctly. And I think also a part of the uh, producers actually placing products on the market where the legislation is aimed uh, is aimed at, consumers themselves are also going to uh, see some differences in, uh, for example, how easy it should be becoming for them to either donate or recycle their textiles. So also the uh, consumers are going to see some differences related to the EPR for textiles regulations. In general, if we're looking at the market developments because of this EPR legislation, the recycling market is going to grow by 100% uh, between now and 2030, just because of this EPR legislation going live in the EU, which means that 5.5 million tons of textiles need to be collected in Europe. So for the consumers, that's already a huge surge in how easy it should be for them to give their textiles away for recycling or reuse. And in the US, the recycling market for textiles is going to grow by 180%. So uh, that's over the next 10 years. So also, it's just going to be a, a very big shift from what are we doing with our textiles currently versus how is that market going to look in 10 years time. And if you look at the, the market value of both the recycling, but also the, the collection of textiles in general, um, it's representing over 18 million US dollars in, uh, in market value. So it's quite a big market for producers to take part in and for consumers to really also going to see a difference in, uh, in yeah, the environment. Yeah, it's a really interesting insight. I mean, I obviously don't work for a brand or a producer, right? But I am a serial shopper. So it's great hearing that being able to kind of recycle those end of life 
or not maybe not even end of life, but just things that I just don't want in my wardrobe anymore, being able to recycle those more easily is is going to be much more readily available. So that's always great to hear. I don't know about everybody else, but I've got on a massive fitness hype in January, so I'm fully anticipating needing a new wardrobe <laughs> by June. So it's great. We need to get EPR in quickly, so I've got really good options for recycling my clothes. So in practical terms then, what do brands and producers need to do now in order to get prepared for EPR? Um, so to to start, I, get, I guess, with uh, the EU. So um, a few countries in the EU already have EPR for textiles in place, but many others are following very soon, at least by 2025. Uh, which means that if you are a producer who puts uh, textiles on the market in any of these countries, first of all, you actually need to be able to offer an infrastructure for the collection of textiles to all consumers. You also need to do the communication so that consumers are actually aware about the options for the collection. And that's only the, the let's say, the initiation of collecting textiles out of the market. Uh, but it also means that the sorting needs to be in place. The textiles actually need to come to their correct destination, it being uh, reuse or recycling. There's reporting, of course, to be put in place. And all of this can either be done by brands by connecting themselves to EPR organization in each country, or they can choose to do everything themselves. But it needs to be in place. And there also then fees apply in order to actually make all of this work. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think working for a company where we help other companies comply with textiles regulations on a day-to-day basis, we're already seeing sort of so much be introduced. France, for example, has been in place for a very long time now. And as a consumer, um, looking at your new clothes that you're purchasing, um, you may see on the label on the tag of the clothing, a label which sort of shows in France now where producers must sort their textiles waste to. So this is new measures that they're bringing in regarding EPR across the world all the time. So France labelling is one that producers have now had to navigate in terms of getting that on their products to show where consumers in France need to dispose of their textiles. Obviously, some companies don't want to just print a label for one specific country. So you may see those buying your clothes here in the UK and you may see a little label. Um, That's what that is. Amazing. I haven't actually seen one of these little labels, but I'm going to look out for them now. It's probably not something I actively look for, um, but you have to send me a picture of one and we'll put it on LinkedIn when we uh, we publish the podcast. Absolutely. So you've mentioned some measures that are already in place. Obviously, you talked a little bit about France. Is there any other countries that are further ahead than, I say, well, for me, further ahead than the UK, because that's where I'm based, but are kind of leading the way um, when it comes to EPR? Yeah, absolutely. So already mentioned France has definitely been the leading country in implementing textiles EPR. It's been around for several years now, and we found that most companies we work with know about textiles in France. However, over the past year or so, definitely got other countries that are coming in place. The likes of the Netherlands and Hungary have introduced their textiles EPR since 2023. So in the Netherlands, peak producers are now just sort of will have registered with the compliance scheme and have also started submitting their forecasted data of what they're going to place onto the market. So the ball's already fully rolling with the Netherlands. And same for Hungary, for all waste streams, but this now extends to including textiles. So they're very much implementing that as well. 
And we've got that law that means that it'll be coming across all EU countries. And we're very sure that that's going to spread worldwide as well. Yeah, and I think additionally to that, so in the uh, EU, this legislation is, uh, we have a deadline of 2025 here. Uh, but also if you look uh, further across the globe, the similar types of regulations are being put in place. For instance, in the US, they're also in progress, but it's a bit different because it's on a state by state base. So there's there might be a few differences between the states of how it's actually put into practice. However, we also see this happening in the EU. So the overall, the regulation is going to be the same for all the EU countries, but the exact specifications and what is, for instance, is footwear included, yes or no, those differences might appear across countries in the EU. It's great hearing that there's so many countries already leading the way on this. And Inga, obviously you're based in the Netherlands. Are you kind of do you see it as a consumer or is it more through your work with brands that you're seeing EPR really ramp up do you see EPR active happening as a consumer in the Netherlands um i think from a consumer point of view it's not very actively marketed yet so i know a bit more about it because of my field of expertise even though there are already regulations live in the Netherlands as sort of like a ramp up for 2025 I think they can do a lot more to actually get everything going. But I also know that even though some of the reporting already needs to be in place, the actual infrastructure is not fully live yet. So that's a bit, yeah, let's say that the, the theory first is the practical side. Um, and I think that's the case in many of the other EU countries as well. There's already a lot of preparation going on and a few changes will already have occurred, but I don't think many consumers are already really seeing a difference. So I do expect that to change over the next year where there's now already a lot more focus on educating consumers about the right way to dispose of their textiles. Uh, there's campaigns going on about that also from the EU point of view. So I do believe that that's going to change in hopefully already 2024. So it's watch for over the next 12 months for sure. So I think we've really just scratched the surface of EPR and encourage anyone listening to reach out to Inga or Charlotte to discuss this more. I know I will be calling you both up wanting to know more because it's really, really enlightened me on, particularly as a consumer, what, what kind of changes I can expect to see coming in. But before we wrap up with today's final thoughts, we just have some time left for our You Found What in the Box segment. If you're new here, this is my favourite segment of the podcast where we just dive into a weird and wonderful, not always so wonderful, return that a brand has mistakenly or purposefully received. So we've got a, a big list. You can always send in your weird return stories to podcast at reboundreturns.com. We've had loads of stories come in and we used a lot in our Christmas episode, our 12 days of weird returns. So if you really just want loads of weird return stories, head back to that episode. But in today's episode, I thought considering in this segment before we've had raw chicken carcasses, we've had live tarantulas. I thought we're talking about quite a serious topic. I won't go too weird for this one, but I still have some questions. So this brand received back Empty beer cans inside a shoebox. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird Friday night or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I've, why have they gone to the effort of putting them 
in in a shoebox. Well, maybe it's because of you know there at least in the Netherlands you now actually need need to um, also collect all your tin cans and you get, you need to hand them in. <laughs> so maybe. <laughs> Maybe, but why, why put them in a shoebox? Oh, I reckon <laughs> my thoughts are they're trying to be a little bit cheeky. I reckon the, they, they maybe thought that the weight of the tin cans could be mistaken for shoes and the brand might not check. I mean, surely. I, that's Are they empty tin cans or full tin cans? Empty. Oh, okay. I think the key I think the key bit of information we're missing about this story is how many beer cans there were yeah. because if it's one or two then it's like okay well this person's being sneaky and being a bit weird if there's like 20 we can probably understand a little bit where that, <laughs> where that process has come from Wait so maybe maybe they like switched it around so instead of walking like drinking out of beer cans they drink out of their shoes now who knows there is this uh formula one driver where every time he ends up on the podium i can't remember if he's on a podium or wins a race but there's a formula one tri- driver called daniel ricardo and every time he ends up on the podium he drinks his champagne from his shoe um which he's been wearing all race maybe it's him maybe we should reach out to daniel ricardo on twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm gonna if this podcast really blows up now and daniel ricardo sues us it's gonna be really uh but i think you know maybe there's a story there around i hope this brand recycled them i hope that's what i hope that's what happened um and you know they've just taken this there's lots of brands that we spoke about kind of today that have already implemented take back schemes for packaging and things maybe this person's just preempted that and just said hey i'm trying to send you back my shoebox have some cans as well (laughs) yeah yeah don't know where the cans have come from but yeah, and I guess the the amount of cans would really depend on the shoes as well. If they're like big, like riding boots, you can get a lot of beer cans in that. Or if they're yeah. like kids' shoes, you're really limited to kind of two beer cans. Um, it's a weird comparison. I never thought thought I'd make is how many beer cans can you fit in a child's shoebox? <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a heavy night and uh, filled their recycling bin up already, so I thought they could get a two for one on their recycling. This is kind of maybe a bonus weird return story that I actually did myself, um, and maybe this is what happened to this person. So. I had some parcels that I'd ordered and picked up from a a locker in the boot of my car. Also in the boot of my car was some parcels that I was posting off for clothes that I'd sold on Vinted. Mm. You can tell where this story is going. I put the wrong label on a parcel that I'd ordered for myself. And then the person contacted me, gave me like a really bad review on Vinted because they were like, this is not what I ordered. I ordered a dress. This is a jumper from a completely different brand. At least it's new, right? So maybe that's what this person's done. <laughs> yeah, well, it was new. It was worth more than the. It was oh. worth more than the thing. Um, so maybe that's what this person's done. Maybe they're just gathering the recycling in the boot of their car. Not sure why they'd have beer cans in their car, but maybe they're just gathering their recycling. They had two shoe boxes back there, and they just took the label on the wrong. One. I'm going to think positively and give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I think I think that's a nice kind of wholesome message to end to end this segment on. Charlotte Inga, thanks so much for joining me today. Before we wrap up, we typically do three takeaways for the listeners. So, are there any final thoughts from either of you? Thank you, Laura. Thanks for being a fab host to us. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I think one statement we can all agree is that fast fashion is out of fashion. We expect EPR to incentivize brands to make garments well, 
that's with compliance schemes across the world introducing eco-modulation. Now, eco-modulation is where a bonus or a penalty can be put in place dependent on how durable or environmentally friendly your product is that you're placing onto the market. So having these bonus and penalties in place will hopefully make sure that companies steer away from using cheap, non-durable fabrics, creating fast fashion, and move towards a more durable, eco-friendly material for their textiles. We'll make sure those garments will last for those consumers and therefore give the company in return a cheaper compliance fee. Don't think you can really argue with that one. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I also think in, in relation to fast fashion being out of fashion, um, I totally agree there. And I think also the eco design uh, regulations coming up in the EU are very important alongside the EPR textiles regulation on its own. So because the EPR regulation by itself is not going to change the world. And I think that's the important piece here. The, the financial aspect of it is the fees. Uh, but many of these brands they'll find a way to make it work and still be able to sell their low quality garments on the market. And that's where I just want to state that EPR is not a silver bullet. It's really a tool to hopefully change the environment and, and the market for textiles and make it indeed more durable. Um, but the, the cost itself, the fees are actually quite low. So that's not fully going to change the business models of these uh, fast fashion brands. Therefore, alongside EPR, eco-design regulations, but for instance, uh, making sure that the low quality materials are not allowed to be in the garments anymore. So it should be taken more as a, as a broader approach, EPR being one tool in the toolbox, eco-design being another tool in the toolbox. Um, but I'm very actually positive minded. I do have the feeling that at least what I've been able to see from the EU, they're really trying to involve various stakeholders in making sure that the EPR regulation is set up in such a way that we're actually going to achieve the goal of EPR for textiles. But I think at least that's that's my takeaway. Uh, we need a lot more than only EPR for textiles. I think the the kind of final takeaway for me, which really kind of adds on to the two things that you've both just mentioned, is there's potential for cross-border complexities with EPR. As we've talked about today, different countries are in different points of their EPR journey. So it's something that they really need to keep in mind when working cross-border. With that in mind, it's time to wrap up today's episode. The key takeaways here really are that EPR is just a tool, but alongside eco-design, we can hopefully see some huge improvements in circularity for textiles We have only just scratched the surface in today's episode. I know there's lots more to talk about and there's obviously been a lot of action points for brands as well so if you've listened to this episode and thought oh gosh I need to really get started what do I need to do next don't hesitate to reach out to Rebound or Valpac and we can assist you so thank you Charlotte and Inga for joining and sharing your expertise it's been great having you both on here running circles around me being our real EPR experts don't miss our next episode where we'll be diving into returns fraud that's right we're turning into a true crime podcast in our next episode don't forget to hit subscribe and send us any questions, weird return stories or resale confessions to podcast at reboundreturns.com. <laughs>